Welcome to the 238th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our look at week 14 of the NFL, our weekly look at the NBA, and our weekly look at college basketball. So with all those topics at hand, let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. We will start in the NFL, where Patrick went 3-1 and with his weekend predictions. In the NBA, Patrick went 2-2 two and two with his weekend predictions. And in college basketball, Patrick went 3-1 and one with his weekend predictions. That means he went a combined 8-4 and four last weekend with his predictions. And it brings Patrick's overall record to 902 and 587. That is a 60.6% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Well, I said a long time ago that I had a goal of getting to 900 wins before 600 losses uh, because... That would be 60% through 1,500 games. And, well, I did that this week successfully, so that's a good thing. Um, Even an 0-12 week next week wouldn't prevent that, Um, or I guess a 3-13 week now that I think about it because college football will come back into the fold. Um, But, yeah, I I did well this weekend. Um, There were some really close games that went my way, some that didn't. Um, But I'll start back in the NFL. The Ravens beat the Rams in overtime. I got that one correct. The Browns beat the Jaguars. Uh, I got that one correct also, which should have been a battle of backup quarterbacks, but instead Trevor Lawrence played through a high ankle sprain, um, and Joe Flacco did not really look like a backup, despite obviously being nearly 40 years old. Um, And then the Bills beat the Chiefs 20-17. to Um, I lost. Uh, Mahomes is definitely more upset about that loss than I am, though. Um, And then the Cowboys beat the Eagles 33-13, to which I predicted correctly. So that brought me to three and one in the NFL. The only loss being that Chiefs game in the NBA. I first had the semifinal uh, predictions of the in-season tournament. The Pacers beat the Bucks. That was a big surprise. Um, maybe not a big surprise. I knew this game would be close, but uh, I definitely expected that the Bucks with more experience would pull that one out, but they weren't able to. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the Pacers later, um, but that one I predicted incorrectly. And then the other semifinal, the Lakers beat the Pelicans 133 to 89. That one I did predict correctly. Also thought that game was going to be close, but that game was definitely not close. Um, probably won't talk too much about the Pelicans later, but uh, we will talk about the Lakers later. And overall, the in-season tournament was really fun to watch. Um, obviously, I couldn't have predicted the finals in in these predictions because I didn't know who was going to be playing each other at the time. Uh, but yeah, I predicted the semifinals. And then the rest of the games, back to regular season action. The Kings beat the Suns 114-106. to 106. Kevin Durant ended up being out for that game. Didn't expect that to happen, so I picked Suns, but then realized that I would probably get that one wrong, and the Kings did pull out that win. Um, and then the Celtics beat the Knicks 133-123, to 123, um, which I got that one correct. And then in college basketball, um, number one Arizona beat number 23 Wisconsin 98-73. That might be a game that I don't typically predict um, based on the line and, you know, the rankings disparity, but, you know, Wisconsin's win over Michigan State on the road did have me thinking that they could at least be, you know, they're one of those teams that's probably better than the ranking indicates. And I personally have them higher than that. Um, But at this point, after the loss, I guess I kind of have them in the same place pretty much, but still um, it was worth predicting at the time in retrospect, probably not Um, Utah beat beat number 14 BYU 73 to 69. I predicted that one correctly. That was BYU's first loss of the season. Um, Number 17, Tennessee beat number 20, Illinois 86 to 79 Um, Tennessee playing good basketball against a really tough schedule and Illinois also playing really well against a tough schedule as well. 
Um, just not pulling out the win in this one, though they did get a big win over FAU earlier in the week that we'll talk about. Um, the number 24 Clemson beat TCU 74 to 66 to stay undefeated. Um, they beat two undefeated teams this week, which was really impressive, although both the teams they played didn't necessarily play great schedules, but undefeated is undefeated, and Clemson has beaten two of those unbeatens also. So they're starting to look really, really impressive. Uh, I did get that one wrong, but overall still a good week. Okay, well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday. Let's now move to our next topic and turn our attention to a look at NFL action with the closest games of week 14. Yeah, we'll start on Thursday night football. I, I made a I, I made a comment to myself while I was making this, and I saw some of these scores, and I said, this is why I named the NFL version closest games of week 14 and why the college one is best games of, of week whatever, because college, the close games, they're always going to be high scoring pretty much, um, th- maybe with the exception of some Iowa games. But the NFL, man, some of these games can get really ugly, and that is exactly what this Thursday night football game was. It wasn't even close to the ugliest game of the week. We'll get to that one later. Um, but the Patriots beat the Steelers 21-18 to to stay not mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, um, at least as of Thursday. But, of course, on Sunday they would be eliminated because they're 3-10, and 10, which, by the way, very, very, very bad loss uh, for the Steelers. Their division, obviously, is a really, really good division with the Ravens, with the Browns. Um, and the Bengals also, and now all of a sudden the Steelers after that loss and with another result that we'll talk about later are actually now tied for last in that division or tied for third, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, But with their schedule, they shouldn't be. They've just played really poorly against two bad teams. They've lost back-to-back weeks now against the Cardinals and the Patriots. In a five-day span, they went from seven and four, um, only one game back of the Ravens at the top of the division pretty much, or one and a half, I guess, because the Ravens hadn't had their bye yet, Um, all the way from seven and four to seven and six with the easiest part of their schedule. Um, so that's a pretty bad look for them. Uh, but Bailey Zappi came out, played well in the first half, didn't do anything in the second half, but it was just enough for the Patriots to keep their lead. Then you have the Ravens who once again led in the fourth quarter. Uh, they have not had a game this season where they haven't at least led at some point in the third quarter or in the fourth, excuse me. Um, but they, they did, uh, they did kind of choke this game away. I mean, they let the Rams drive down the field. Um, and get a field goal in about, you know, 48 or 50 seconds, something like that at the end of the game, which that wasn't a great look, but the Ravens did execute their own two-minute drill pretty well um, to take that lead in the first place. So overall, their offense looked better um, in terms of late-game execution. Their defense, not so much, but when they needed to stop most in overtime, they did get it because they actually got the ball but then punted, uh, but then they also forced the Rams to punt. And on that punt, Tylen Wallace with the punt return touchdown to seal the game. Um, the second walk-off punt return touchdown of the season, uh, obviously the first one being that week one game with the Jets, but then that's still a good win for them. Um, 10 and three, obviously for the Rams, you know, that was going to be a tough game to win. If you could have stolen that one, you would have been in great position for the playoffs. Um, just not able to come out with a victory, but still at six and seven, which in the NFC might be near enough to at least, they're at least still in the playoff race. We'll have to see um, based on some other results who, who exactly is uh, making that field. But, you know, some other results also help the Rams that we'll talk about later. And speaking of one of those results, the Falcons failed to move above 500 because they lost at home to the Buccaneers, who now take control of their division as well. Um, both of those teams tied at six and seven, but the Bucks with the head-to-head advantage now lead that division. Um, the Browns, as I said earlier, beat the Jaguars 31-27. and But the most important thing in this game was that Joe Flacco actually looked serviceable. Um, I, I don't exactly think 
that the Browns are going to be a Super Bowl contender. But I, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I, I would, I would say if I really felt that way that we've seen worse quarterbacks win Super Bowls. I don't think that's true. This is 39 year old Joe, Fl- well, 38 year old Joe Flacco. Um, but at the same time, the Browns defense is good enough that they can probably at least win a, a, a divisional round game. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they played one of the weaker teams in the AFC and were able to take away um, a game against one of the teams that is more offensive heavy. You know, you look at a team like Houston, maybe who, you know, they have a good defense They They wouldn't be, they wouldn't be in the position they are if they didn't have a good defense, but they're more of an offensive centric team. I think the Browns are probably good enough to shut down a team like that offensively and get just enough points to go win the game. Um, obviously this week scoring 31 would have you thinking that this is a really potent offensive team. They have the weapons, they have the run game, um, but it's really going to depend on kind of the elements they're playing in. And if Joe Flacco can kind of keep this up, which I mean, I guess if you look at his past track record, he does have, he does have a chance to do that. I just don't think that, you know, after retiring and unretiring um, and also just being at his age that he exactly can keep up that level. But you know what? Everybody always said that about Tom Brady. I know Joe Flacco is not Tom Brady, but look, everybody always says it. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way. So you never know. Maybe the Browns can make a run. We'll just have to see. Um, Speaking of a team that isn't capable of making a run, the Vikings put up three points this weekend and they won because the Raiders put up zero. Yes. The Vikings won three to nothing. Um, This is where, this is the reason I made that statement about um, closest games as opposed to best games. Cause this game was awful to watch. I have nothing else to say uh, other than the fact that the Vikings were supposed to get Justin Jefferson back. He did come back. He made two catches. And then Josh Dobbs nearly got him killed, throwing across the middle, and he did have to sit out the rest of the game. Um, I think they said he went to the local hospital in Vegas, but it, it seems like it might be, I think they said it was a chest injury, but it, it seems like he might actually be able to play again this week. So we'll see what happens with that, but he did sit out the remainder of that game. Uh, maybe that messed with the Vikings game plan. Maybe it didn't. Alexander Madison also had an injury in that game. So a lot of injuries going around in that game and just a lot of sloppy offense. Um, then you have the Bills and the Chiefs. This game, not exactly, you know, the game of the century type game uh, that we come to expect from these two teams. But at the same time, the Bills did come away with the 20 to 17 win. That was a really important win for the Bills because the AFC is so crowded uh, top to bottom. And they were at six and six. And you look at you look at their schedule and you say, wow, this team is six and six heading into this week. After that loss to the Eagles, you thought that was a game that slipped away from that they really needed. And all of a sudden, if you lose to the Chiefs on the road, which isn't really obviously that hard to do. The Chiefs are a great team, especially at home. They're at six and seven, and they'd pretty much be kind of out of the race with how many teams are kind of jam-packed in that, at least going into the week, we're jam-packed in that seven seven and five to eight and four range. And all of a sudden, the Bills do have a chance again now that they're at seven and six. Um, And also they have another chance because the Dolphins lost to the Titans at home. Uh, They became the first team, I think, in the last 715 games or something like that to lead with 255 or fewer time left and lead by 14 by yeah by 13 excuse me um and lose that game which is just i mean it's a terrible result honestly the dolphins choked this game away i have nothing else to say other than the fact that they just choked this game away uh the titans gifted them opportunity after opportunity uh they settled for one too many field goals and as a result they lost this game and it was just a bad loss overall um, I don't really think the Bills are going to come up and snatch away the division from them. But if the Dolphins are going to keep playing like this, they actually might have a chance to do that. Um, and then speaking of the NFC wild card race, uh, as I was talking about earlier, the Packers lost to the Giants 24 to 22. 
The Giants are probably not going to be a factor in the playoff race, seeing as how they're already five and eight. But it is important that the Packers lost that game because it keeps them at six and seven. Um, teams like the Rams, teams like the Seahawks, teams like the Falcons, the Buccaneers. Very, very happy about that result. All right, well, let's move off the closest games and go to some teams that actually were impressive in week 14. Well, the Cowboys just demolished the Eagles 33-13 to on Sunday Night Football. Um, nothing really else to say about it. I mean, the Cowboys just had an all-around complete game. Uh, very, very good on defense. Their defense had taken some hits recently. Obviously, you had the Seahawks game where neither team punted. Uh, so th there were some high-scoring games involving the Cowboys recently. But their defense played back up to its standards uh, or on Sunday night, excuse me, and that was just enough to propel them to the victory. Uh, Dak looked great once again. The Eagles' defense has been trending down for a while now, um, and just Dak and the Cowboys explo exploited that uh, and played a great game, put up over 30 points, and that was easily enough to defeat the Eagles at home. Then you have the Broncos, who went on the road and beat the Chargers 24-7. Not really much of a road game because, you know, uh, the Chargers fan base isn't exactly the most uh, active or rabid or committed, whatever word you want to use, uh, fan base out there. Uh, and Denver's not that far from L.A. But Broncos fans were there. They were loud. Pretty much a neutral site game. <laughs> um, maybe even closer to a Broncos home game that just wasn't in Colorado. Um, but regardless... They played well. Uh, they knocked Justin Herbert out of the game with an injury, and you know that might end his season considering the Chargers are 5-8 and eight and way, way out of the playoff race. Um, but the other thing worth mentioning in this game, especially when you talk about the playoff race, so the Broncos are now one game back of the Chiefs in their division after that victory by the Bills, and all of a sudden, this team has a real chance of not only making the playoffs, but potentially winning a division, which is crazy when you consider that they started out 0-5 um, or 1-5, whatever it was. Just it's a crazy turnaround that they've had, and it's really all come from the defensive end, and that happened again uh, on Sunday where they held the Chargers to seven points. Um, speaking of good defenses, the Niners struggled in the first quarter. The Seahawks had a 10-7 to lead at the end of the first, but a touchdown in every quarter was just enough for the 49ers to win the game. They won 28-16. to That knocks the Seahawks to 6-7, and so like I'm talking about a lot of 6-7 and teams in the NFC wildcard race. Um, and overall, Niners... Probably looking like the most dominant team in the league. Um, you could say it would be the Cowboys, but the Niners have that huge win over the Cowboys where they just destroyed them. So it's really hard to make that case when you think about the fact that the Eagles, the Cowboys, and the Niners have the same record, and the Niners are the only team who beat both of them um, and is undefeated against those two against those two teams, whereas the Eagles and the Cowboys have both beaten each other once at home. Um, so no clear victor there, although the Cowboys are definitely looking better right now. Um, and then finally... You have the Bengals who beat the Colts 34 to 14. Both of those teams now at seven and six. Jake Browning looking pretty good, actually, uh, under center in Cincy. Uh, he moves to two and one as a starter. And then you have the Bears who upset the Lions 28 to 13. The Lions vying for the number one seed in the NFC. Uh, kind of fading from that race, though, with that recent loss to the Packers and then this loss as well. Not looking too good. And then on the Bears side of things, they're also pretty much out of it, but they do have, I guess they have kind of a chance just because of how weak the NFC is uh, in the wild card. I, I think they're technically one game out of a playoff spot because a lot of those teams are at six and seven, uh, but they just won back-to-back -back games under Matt Eberflus for the first time ever. That's something that is kind of crazy to think about, but it is true. Um, but the Bears do deserve credit for that when they played well on Sunday.
All right, well, let's move off of NFL action and turn our attention to the NBA, where we we will start with the most impressive teams of last week. Yeah, for the first time, we're actually going to not start and finish there. Um, But we will start with the Lakers, who won the in-season tournament last weekend with their close win over the Suns in L.A. in the quarterfinals, and then their blowout victory of the Pelicans in the semis, and then another close victory over Indy in Vegas. Um, LeBron is named the first in-season tournament MVP. The Lakers are the first in-season tournament champions. Um, A lot of joke potential there, uh, as now the Lakers, if you count in-season tournament titles, pull ahead of the Celtics for all-time titles. Of course, not a lot of people believe in that. Um, But 17-17, to and the Lakers have plus maybe 0.5 from the in-season tournament. Um, LeBron, the first in-season tournament MVP, uh, that would mean, you know, if you're looking at this, In retrospect, a lot of people would assume this got implemented in maybe 2018, 2017. But LeBron's longevity, of course, means that even though he's in his 19th season, he still is playing at a level where he could win MVP of a tournament of a championship team. Um, AD was really the key, though, in this tournament. Uh, the, The MVP award was awarded for performance in the whole tournament, which AD had some rough games in some of the qualifier, or I guess the pool play, I think, is what the technical term for that is. But... You know, LeBron LeBron showed up in all of those games. AD had a really rough game against the Suns from the floor. He was 10 of 26, um, though he did score 27 points in that quarterfinals game. Whereas LeBron played 40 minutes, had 31, 11, and 8 on 12 of 25 shooting against the Suns. And then followed that up with a ridiculous performance against the Pacers where he played so well that he scored 30 points in 23 minutes and then just left the game. Um, that's that's insane. That just doesn't happen. Um He was on fire in that game, four of four from three. The Lakers as a whole just played out of their mind in that game. But, uh, I mean, that one was just dominant. That that is the true form of the Lakers that we know they can get to at their best, and that comes out in the playoffs. Um, But, you know, on Sunday – or on Saturday, excuse me, um, they did did get the win over the Pacers, and this one was really AD. If if the in-season tournament MVP was only off of the two games in Vegas – AD probably would have won it because in this game he had 41 points, 20 rebounds, five assists, and four blocks with 16 of 24 shooting. That is a stat line that you don't see put up very often. Uh, A lot of people comparing that to a Shaq-like stat line, which it kind of is. LeBron still had 24, 11, and four in this game, though a pretty solid game for him. Um, And overall, he claimed the tournament MVP for that performance. The Lakers, though, just playing really well this week. Um, This is, like I said, this is the peak of this team. This is what they can do when they're playing their best. Um, And then you talk about the Pacers. I think this was the peak of them as well. They were undefeated having heading into the NC, excuse me, to the in-season tournament. I don't know why it's so hard to say uh, championship game. They beat Boston and Milwaukee in the quarterfinals and the semis. Now that is not something that a lot of people had them doing. I, I think it just reflects on the growth that this team has had. It's really, really tough to run that gauntlet of really the top two teams in the East, but they were able to do it. Beat Boston by 10 uh, behind Tyrese Halliburton's triple-double. He had 26, 13, and 10 in that game against Boston. And then he turned around. Uh, that one was a home game, but then on the neutral site, he had 27, 15, and 7 on 11 of 19 shooting against the Bucks. Just a really, really good performance by him. Uh, Miles Turner also had 26 and 10 in that game also, so he deserves some credit too. And then even in the Lakers' loss, Halliburton played pretty well, 20 and 11 on 8 of 14 shooting. Um, but the fact of the matter is, this team is really good. This team is young. Um, they're up and coming, though. I think the Pacers kind of remind me of like the Sacramento Kings of last year, where you can see the pieces coming together, 
but you don't necessarily know when they're going to break out. You know that they're capable of it. They have a good group of veterans. They have a good group of younger guys. And just, you know, that it's going to work as soon as they find the right role players around it. And I think Bruce Brown has been kind of a key to that. Uh, Miles Turner has stepped up his game. Halliburton becoming a true star has also been a part of that. Um, Buddy Heald just kind of doing his thing. It's really similar to last year how, you know, Harrison Barnes and Kevin Herter just kind of came in, did their thing. Obviously, Harrison Barnes had been there for a while. Um, but then, you know, De'Aaron Fox really elevated his game. Demona Sabonis elevated his as well. And all of a sudden, you have a really, really good team when you factor in guys like Keegan Murray as a rookie contributing well. That's kind of the role that Benedict Matherin is playing on this Pacers team. So I really like what I'm seeing from this team. Um, and look, they gave the Lakers a scare. I mean, it, it's not like that game wasn't close. So I, I think they deserve to be on here, even though they did have that loss this week. Um, but moving on from that, you then have the Mavericks. They went 3-0 this week. They beat Utah, Portland, and Memphis. They played a light schedule, but they still had a good week on the court results-wise. Luka continues to put up good stat lines. Good stat lines. Great stat lines. Um, but the one negative for them was that Kyrie Irving was injured during one of the games this week, so they did not get great news on the injury front. But we'll see how, how big of a deal that one is um, down the line. Then you have the Clippers, who went 3-0 this week, the first time they're appearing on this list this year. They beat Denver, Utah, and Portland. Again, easy schedule outside of Denver, but that is important. They finally woke up. This is what people were looking for, the big three of James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George actually stepping up. They finally did it this week. Um, although a close win, giving up almost 130 to the Blazers isn't, isn't necessarily living up to the full expectations for them. Uh, they did go undefeated, and that win against the defending champs is important. They've also looked really ugly in the past, so I'll give them credit for riding the ship, at least temporarily. Uh, they were at eight and ten heading into the back end of last week. Now they are twelve and ten. And when you look at the West, uh, the Western Conference landscape, there are a lot of good teams that are going to be vying for playoff spots. It's not necessarily a guarantee that just that big three is going to be enough to make the playoffs. We've seen teams like the Lakers be in the play, and I mean, last year they were in the play and they made it all the way to the conference finals. Uh, Golden State's been in the play, and Golden State's been knocked out in the play by the Lakers actually. So. There have been good teams plenty of times to be in the plane in the West. Uh, you even look at a Minnesota last year who was in the play-in then and is now currently the number one seed. So there's a lot of talent in the West. You can't just say that the playoff or a playoff appearance, you, you can't take that for granted. You can't just say it's automatic. Um, so it is important that the Clippers have weeks like this and get on track early before it gets too late and it's now they're automatically in a plane and have a really tough road to get to the playoffs. Okay, well, let's flip the coin uh, to the other side, the least impressive teams of the last week in the NBA. Well, they're still doing fine overall, but the Suns did have another bad week. Uh, they went 0-2. They lost to the Lakers and to Sacramento. This team just had to be on here um, and at the top of the list this week. They lost not only to the Lakers in the quarterfinals of the in-season tournament, but they surrounded that with another loss to the Kings. Um, that loss to the Kings, like I said earlier, was without Kevin Durant, though, and now Bradley Beal is coming back, so the Suns should be getting better soon. But the fact of the matter is if the Suns go 0-2, 0-3 any week, I'm going to put them on here because we know that they're better than that. Um, they are 12-9 and on the season, though. Or 12-10, and excuse me. Um, so th we know that they're going to be better um, as the season goes on. But that's still not a great result. And overall, um, I don't know how they ended up only playing two games this week. But, yeah, the Suns, they played okay. Uh, they do need to get better, though. They really need to get more consistent. And when you talk about kind of playing without guys – Obviously, it's a big deal when Kevin Durant is out, but the problem with the Suns is that 
that can happen within games too. You know, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, they're not playing 48 minutes a game. They're not going to even in the playoffs. They have to be able to play well without their stars on the floor. And it's something that a lot of teams need to adapt to, especially in this era kind of of having a big three and just surrounding them with, you know, shooters or depending on who it is, uh, surrounding them with better post players, whatever it happens to be. But the Suns really haven't figured out how to play well without their stars. Whenever Booker's out, they're terrible. Whenever KD is out, they are not as good. It's sh- they do need to figure it out um, because there's also no guarantee that those guys are going to be available um, at the end of the season. Not, not really. None of them are really injury prone or anything like that, but I do. it is still worth noting that injuries do happen and you have to be able to adapt around it, and the Suns haven't really shown that capability yet. And that's going to be important even in the minutes where they're off the floor uh, in playoff games, in finals games, if they get that far. Um, so the Suns really need to restore that faith. I don't know exactly if they can do that or not, but we will just have to see as the season uh, goes on. And we'll have to see what kind of impact Bradley Beal coming back has on this team as well. Then you have the Hawks. They went 0-3. They lost to Brooklyn, Philly, and Denver. It's a tough schedule. I'll, I'll give them a pass for that. But the fact of the matter is they're now 9-13 and on the season. And while I think they'll rebound and be in playoff contention and make the playoffs, it's nonetheless disappointing to see this team just not really get much better um, from one year to the next. This is kind of a recurring thing with the Hawks. They, they've had those years where, you know, Trey Young goes off in the playoffs. They look amazing, all that stuff. But the fact of the matter is they really don't have, um, they just don't have any year over year improvement that you would like to see from a team that was built on a young core and it's supposed to really be getting better because they're they're just not getting better every year. Um, you look at the last few years. This year you have the nine and thirteen start. Last year they were forty one and forty one. The year before that they were forty three and thirty nine. The year before that they were forty one and thirty one. That obviously being the COVID shortened season. That was when they went to the conference finals um, and beat the Knicks, beat the 76ers. You know that was a great turnaround from a twenty and forty seven team. That was a big deal. But all of a sudden since then. That was a 569 winning percentage, and then they went down to 524, then they went down to 500, and both of those resulted in first-round exits. So you look at the trajectory they're on, and they're actually on a downward one, despite the fact that they've continuously revamped the roster, changed things around, you know, get Clint Capella, get DeJounte Murray, get John Collins out, get a new coach, all this that Quinn Snyder, you know, they've done a lot of different things to try to make things better, and yet they've not reclaimed that form um, from the 72-game season at all, uh, which is just kind of disappointing to see. But same thing goes for the Raptors, who are third on this list. Uh, they are 0-3. They lost to Miami, Charlotte, and New York. They have kind of been downhill since the bubble, honestly. Um, they've had many players in trade rumors for a while, though, and some players entering free agency soon as well. Um, and the way I'm looking at things, it looks like they're they're going to end up in a fire sale. I don't see the bounce-back potential like I do with the Hawks, to be quite honest. Um, and we'll just have to see what happens because that will also make the trade market very, very interesting um, as teams look to add to their big threes or to maybe make a big three out of OG Ananobi as the third guy or, uh, you know, maybe even Pascal Siaka might be on the trading block. You never know. Um, so we'll see what happens with the Raptors, but I'm not very confident in them. And speaking of kind of that same thing with the Hawks, although this team is a little bit earlier on in their development stage, the Jazz went 0-3 this week. Lost to Dallas, the Clippers, and OKC. Again, that's a tough schedule. They get a pass. But this team is bad. Again, not surprising that they went 0-3. However, they got on here because they lost by 50 points to the Mavs. If you lose by 50 points to anybody and you don't get a win that week, 
you're going to end up on this list. Um, I also thought that their core would improve from last year. Um, they get a lot better, but they're just kind of stuck in the mud. They're seven and 16 on the season. Just not very great overall. All right. Well, let's move on from professional basketball to college basketball with a look at some important results in early season college basketball contests. Well, this game was played at MSG, so it might have been confused for an NBA game. And there are a lot of NBA players in this game. But number five, UConn beat number nine in North Carolina, 87 to 76. I mean, honestly, I'm trying to find a comment to make about this game. But the fact of the matter is, this game and the next game that we're going to talk about, I just saw two high-level basketball games. And I I don't – I've seen – I'll say this. I've seen ranked teams win. I've seen ranked teams be other ranked teams. And I've come away with it saying, okay, they're pretty good. Like, I I liked what I saw. They're a good team. But this game, really, I do feel like we saw two very, very high-level teams on both sides. Um, This is an Elite Eight game. I I don't necessarily – I'm not guaranteeing that North Carolina is going to be there. I definitely think UConn will be there, though. UConn is at least an Elite Eight team, maybe a Final Four team, uh, depending on what their bracket is. Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of good teams that are kind of in that one to six range. If you're asking me right now, I think there's kind of a separation between um, some of the teams at the top and then every team under them. If you're, if you're asking me to make that distinction, I think there's a list and it starts with Arizona and then it goes down in whatever order, Houston, Purdue, Kansas, UConn, Marquette. For me, I cut it off there. Um, I think there's a chance for teams like Tennessee, teams like Baylor to join that list. Baylor especially because they've looked really good. And North Carolina as well, kind of on the outside looking in for that group. And Creighton too. Um, but I really think those six have kind of separated themselves at the beginning of the season. You could make the argument Marquette hasn't because they have two losses. Um, but I really, the losses they have, I don't, I don't really mind them. Um, but, you know, I, I see these two teams as high-level teams. This is an Elite Eight, maybe a Final Four matchup. Um, and I'd be very shocked if both of these teams didn't at least get to the Sweet 16. Uh, but that was a great game. A lot of NBA players on both sides, like I said. Then you had number 20, Illinois, who beat number 11, FAU, 98-89. to 89. Uh, FAU was cruising in this game just offensively. They were just executing very well. But the problem was Illinois just wouldn't back down. Um, they, they just kept scoring with FAU. And eventually, when Vlad Golden got into foul trouble and eventually fouled out, Illinois saw their chance. And they took it. And they seized the moment. And they came away with the victory. Um, special credit in this game to Marcus Damask and um, Terrence Shannon Jr. Obviously, Terrence Shannon is well-documented as this team's best player, um, and everybody knows how good he is. But Marcus Damask is kind of a lesser-known player, um, a transfer from Southern Illinois last year, but really, really good. He played four years at Southern Illinois, started every single game except for one in his entire career, averaged 13 points or more in every season all the way from his freshman year, he is a really, really good player. He's averaged 13 and five um, every season since he's been in D1. And even though he's obviously taking the step up in competition, going to Illinois, still on the season averaging 11 and five, which is so, which are good numbers. He hasn't even shot the ball very well. He's been a career 35% three point shooter, and he's only shooting 22% this year. So if he can get a shot uh, locked in, which he had it in this game, he, I mean, he still went two of six from three, but he was 15 of 21 from the floor. Him and Terrence Shannon both scored 33 points in this game. Uh, Just really, really impressive from those two. Uh, And they basically got the victory for FAU, despite the fact that they had some players of their own that were playing very well and almost shot 40% from three-point line. Illinois shot 63% from the floor, though, uh, which was 
a ridiculous number. Then you have number 19, Oklahoma, who beat Providence 72 to 51. I watched this game. I don't think Oklahoma scored until there were eight minutes left. Or, or excuse me, excuse me, Providence didn't score until eight minutes in to the first half. Um, they made a valiant run once they had gotten to that point. But yeah, their first basket came. Okay, fine. It wasn't eight minutes. Their first basket came at the 1508 mark, and they were already down 12 to nothing. So by that point, I, I don't want to say the game was over, but Oklahoma, man, that, that defense is really, really good. And they're able to back it up with some good offensive production uh, as well. Then you had Michigan State, who lost at home to Wisconsin. Um, Wisconsin getting that road upset after the win over Marquette, winning by 13 on the road at MSU. It's a tough place to win, regardless of how bad that MSU team is. And uh, they are bad because they lost to, to Nebraska also. Uh, one of the few 0-2 teams in the Big Ten. It's just them and Iowa there at the bottom of the conference. Um, everybody else has win except Rutgers. And Rutgers only played Illinois, so they get a pass for that. Um, yeah. Michigan State looks terrible so far. Um, I, I hate to say I told you so, but, you know, a lot of people were confused why I had them at seventh in the preseason. I still thought they could be lower than that. I just didn't really know who else to put above them. And, uh, yeah, they aren't playing the recruits that they got. And when you really look at the nature of college basketball, I mean, I saw a stat yesterday that said um, a top 15 transfer or top 15 transfers this year are averaging on average 14 points per game for their respective teams, whereas top 15 recruits are averaging about nine or 10 points per game. So the fact of the matter is you need to utilize the transfer portal to, to optimize how good your team is. Um, the team Wisconsin ran into later in the week knows that best Arizona, obviously we'll talk about that later. Um, and also by the way, Wisconsin knows it because AJ store has been pretty big for them as well. But the fact of the matter is Michigan state literally does not use the transfer portal and it is hurting their team is stubbornness to not recruit players from the portal that a hundred percent would choose to go to Michigan state. It's hurting the program. Um, and I don't know why, I don't know what exactly the vendetta is against the transfer portal, but you know, he, he's not using the transfer portal. They didn't have any transfers this year. And then he also has a five-star center. Their biggest weakness is the center position and he's not playing the five-star center. He's averaged two minutes a game against power conference opponents. And I think his log six or seven do not DNPs on the season. It's just, there's no fixing that team until they make some significant changes. Uh, Izzo always does, so I do think they probably will, but I don't know if it's too late at already being four and five. Um, they'd have to really get on a big run to even, honestly, at this point, even to make the tournament. You can't just go 500 in Big Ten play anymore um, and expect that that's going to be enough, especially in a down Big Ten. Um, and then, more fun game, uh, Grand Canyon beat number 25 San Diego State, 79-73. The mid-majors are really good this year. I just have to say that um, I think this is an overall comment that, you know, it's not just teams on the West coast. It's not just grand Canyon. It's not San Diego state. This goes to Colorado state, obviously BYU is now in the big 12, but you know, they're kind of still transitioning in that James Madison's a great team. Uh, FAU obviously is one of those teams, although technically they're in the Americans. So maybe they're in a major conference technically um, Gonzaga, obviously, but they're not really a true mid major. Uh, but you look at some of these teams and they, there have been some teams that are really playing well that aren't typically considered powerhouses. And I like the way they've played throughout the season. Uh, St. Joe's has been really good. I, I like what St. Joe's has done this year. New Mexico, same thing. Um, Grand Canyon, as we just said, Dayton's one of those teams. I could go on and on and on. Uh, Princeton, I should mention, I don't know why I didn't. So there are a lot of good mid-majors this year. Um, and I really think this is a year that the committee 
should give a lot of preference to those types of teams. No offense because it's my, you know, home conference, favorite conference to watch. Not really. Um, but the Big Ten shouldn't get nine or ten bids this year. I, I just have to say that. It's just not, it doesn't make any sense. They should not get nine or ten bids over a lot of these mid-major teams. They're playing better. They have better wins. Um, they look better on the eye test anyway, so you can't even use that argument against them. Um, but then, speaking of, well, not speaking of mid-majors, but speaking of uh, teams that have weird conferences involved with them, Texas obviously going to that 18-team SEC or 16-team SEC next year. They were not ready to compete against number eight Marquette. They will, they lost that game 86-65, to 65, just dominance from Marquette. And this is the type of thing where I'm talking about where despite two losses, I really see themselves as being in that kind of championship level tier. I don't think there are many teams that can beat Texas by 20 in the cup. I just don't think there are that many teams in the country that can do that. And Marquette is one of them. Um, and then moving on, number 24, Clemson beat South Carolina 72 to 67. South Carolina was undefeated, didn't play a tough schedule, but they were undefeated. So they get some credit for that. And then number one, Arizona beat Wisconsin by 25. No words about this game other than, you know, continuing that conversation about the transfer portal. Um, Caleb Love has been amazing for this team. Just overall, everything this team has done, I don't, I don't even know how to really explain this, but it's just like every single move that this team makes, that Tommy Lloyd makes, it works out. Keyshawn Johnson has been great transferring in from San Diego State. Uh, Umar Ballo and Pella Larson and Kylan Boswell as kind of the holdovers from the last team uh, have been really good. But Love and Johnson are the two leading this team in scoring. But it's really, really hard to stop a team that has five players averaging 12 points per game. It's just very, very hard to stop that. You don't know where the scoring is going to come from on any given night. Um, a lot of consistency there. Boswell averaging nearly five assists per game. Caleb Love at four and a half. So they really have production coming from everywhere. Um, I, I like what I'm seeing from Arizona so far. I think there is no argument that currently they're the, they're the number one team in the country. Then you move on to the preseason number one. That was number two now, Kansas, who beat Missouri 73 to 64. Uh, Kansas is good. I, I'm going to, I don't think there's any way of getting around that. They're still a championship level team, but I really think the level of dominance we expect them to have going into the year just has not showed up at any point. Um, their win against UConn, yeah, you could argue that that was one of those times where it did, but they did only win that game by five, and that was without Steph Castle um, for the Huskies, who's arguably a top three or four player on their team. So I, I would like to see Kansas come out and dominate more, um, but the fact of the matter is they're still winning games. They're still 9-1. and one. They've still had a tough schedule, so they get credit for that. They're still definitely one of the top five teams in the country. I, there's no doubt in my mind about that. I just don't think they're as dominant as we were expecting them to be coming into the season. Same thing goes for number four, Purdue, who beat Alabama 92 to 86. Um, they, they offensively have had enough production from their guards. I'm just a little worried about their defense. Um, they have allowed, they allowed Northwestern's guards to go off against them when they lost that game. Uh, they allowed Alabama to go off plenty of players in this game uh, with this near loss. Um, but you know what? Near losses are okay because guess what? The next three teams we're going to talk about, they were all, well, two of them were undefeated. One of them had one loss, and that loss, I believe, was to Purdue. Yeah, um, but all those teams lost. And we'll start with Washington, who beat number seven, Gonzaga, 78-73. Washington, not an amazing team, not a bad team, just kind of one of those teams that, you know, they'll float around the bubble if they can get some wins going their way, if they can, you know, beat some teams like USC, UCLA, maybe pull an upset over Arizona, they'll make the tournament. But right now kind of on the outside looking in so it's not a, it's not an amazing it's not really it's not an excusable loss for gonzaga i'll just say that this is not a loss that most teams in the top 10 would take but at the same time it's not it's not like the end of the world 
Um, they're still a good team. I think they'll still bounce back. Um, St. Mary's beat number 13 Colorado State 64 to 61. This one heading into the season, you'd think the rankings were reversed, but they're not. Um, St. Mary's struggling out the gate now at five and five, whereas Colorado State had started out undefeated. But St. Mary's still has a lot of talent, and they showed that in this game. Um, Utah, who's seven and two on the season with only a loss to Houston and St. John's on, uh, I, I think, a tournament that the games were two days apart. Um, they beat number 14 BYU 73 to 69. It's a key win for Utah to pick up. Uh, looks good on their resume, which I think they will be contending for the tournament. So it's important to get those kinds of wins. Then you have number 17, Tennessee, who beat number 20, Illinois, 86 to 79. Uh, you talk about Terrence Shannon. He had a good game in this one as well. Marcus Damask didn't really follow up his performance from the FAU game and kind of carry that forward. But the fact of the matter is everybody's going to have a game off every once in a while. Um, putting up 80 on the road or almost 80 on the road against Tennessee is no small feat. And that's worth mentioning. But Illinois does have some things to figure out on the defensive end, because even in that FAU game, uh, they still gave up 89 points despite getting the victory. Um, then you have number 19, Oklahoma, who beat Arkansas 79 to 70. Oklahoma was in full control of this game. They were up by double digits through most of it. Um, and overall, I just really like what I see from them. Uh, they had two games against near tournament teams, probably tournament teams this week, and they passed the test with flying colors um, for both of them after having, you know, not necessarily the strongest schedule earlier in the season. Um, but they deserve to be near the top 10, if not in the top 10. And if you really think that they need to prove themselves, despite the fact that they already have a win over USC and a win over Iowa and a win over Providence and Arkansas, you can wait for next Wednesday when they play North Carolina um, in Charlotte. That will be a really true test of how strong this team is. I fully expect them to compete in that game. I won't pick them to win because it's in Charlotte anyway, which is not really a neutral site game. Um, but I do think they'll compete. I think they'll make it close. Um, and if they do win that game, they will probably start out 13-0 and because they don't really play anybody around that. Um, and then they head into the tough, tough Big 12 schedule, um, which obviously that's doesn't matter who you play. Uh, it's going to be a tough game. And speaking of the Big 12, Clemson beat TCU 74-66, talked about in the predictions. Clemson also having a great season. Oklahoma and Clemson kind of right near each other in the rankings. Clemson's got that win over Pitt that looks really good right now. That win over South Carolina, who was undefeated. TCU was undefeated. Uh, and if you're looking and, and over Alabama on the road, I should mention that's a good win as well. And if you want them to prove themselves, they play Memphis this weekend on the road. So that's going to be a tough one for them. Um, if they're able to win it, though, they should be in the top 10. Um, and then speaking of Memphis, uh, they won over number 21, Texas A&M, 81-75. They played great. They've been great all year. A uh, few slip ups here and there. But other than um, the battle for Atlantis, they've pretty much been unscathed. That one loss was the other loss that they had other than the battle for Atlantis was a loss to Ole Miss, who was also undefeated this year. Um, so this is a really good team as well. Um, built to compete, they will be in the tournament. And then finally, you have Colorado, who demolished Miami, who was number 15 hanging in the week, 90 to 63. Miami has played a really weak schedule, and outside of the outside of some close games in, in, in some in-season tournament fields that weren't that strong, they have gotten destroyed by the two ranked – actually, Colorado's not even ranked – in the two losses they have, I should say, they've just gotten run out of the game, almost lost by a combined 50 points. Kentucky beat them by 22 or 23, and then this game by 27, so maybe they have lost by a combined 50. Uh, but Miami just not looking too good when it comes to actually playing against quality teams. Not too sure um, where this team stands as it goes forward because they've looked great in their other games against okay teams, against near-tournament teams, but against the best of the best, and even against just solid tournament teams. They have looked terrible. 
All right. Well, that wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, December 19th, where we will once again look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, review week week 15 action in the NFL, take a look at the start of college football bowl season, which kicks off in high gear on Saturday, uh, and have another review of the NBA season, as well as another look at the college basketball season. In the meantime, Please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his predictions for every college football bowl game that were posted on Monday, his NCAA basketball tournament bracket that will be posted tomorrow, his picks for next weekend's games that will, all, that will as always, be posted on Thursday. All of that content is on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.